Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Confident Faith, as we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 8, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Our Weakness and God's Grace. constantly amazed at God's graciousness to me and all who name the name of Christ. Have you ever noticed how much better God treats us than what we deserve? Have you ever noticed how patient God is towards us? Have you ever wondered why it is that God does not cut us off from his grace? In fact, God is determined to mold us into the image of Christ to make us grow and become more holy, more in tune with the Spirit all the time. And isn't that overwhelming? You know, we frequently say we're not what we once were, and that is true. There are, in fact, two things going on in the life of the believer. First of all is what we would call regeneration. That's giving life to the dead. You know, the First Testament prophets call this receiving a heart of flesh in the place of a heart of stone. Once we were dead towards God and righteousness, but now we're alive to God and righteousness. You know, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's called regeneration. It's the resurrection life of Jesus Christ imparted into the believer. And the second item is called sanctification. We're now being made holy. See, on the one hand, legally or forensically, God regards our sanctification as completed. But on the other hand, we're working out that sanctification or holiness in our lives right here and now. You know, we know both from Scripture and from our experience that the new life within us is right now engaged in war. A war exists within every believer. You know, while we were unbelievers, our flesh ruled, even over our will, so that we did not do the things that we wanted. We were slaves to sin. But when we came to Christ, we were no longer subject to the flesh. We are redeemed. Our our freedom is purchased for us by the blood of Christ. And therefore, we now have a new master. Once slaves of sin, we're now slaves of Christ Jesus. And so again, within this, a struggle, a war has begun. The flesh, having lost its authority over us, is now at war with the life of the Spirit. We know that anyone led by the Spirit will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, I know at times we're going to fall back and listen to the flesh, but then we repent and we find forgiveness, and then we go on. And then after a while, we see that we're not the people that we used to be. The actions of the flesh, which consists of sexual immorality and impurity and hatred and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and drunkenness and factions, all of this action of the flesh is suffering a defeat before the onslaught of the Spirit. Instead, it's being replaced by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're noticing that we're not the people we once were. The change that began at conversion is beginning to make us like Jesus. That is, at least so it seems to us, until we have a setback. You know, perhaps you're struggling with selfish ambition, and you were the kind of person who used to steamroll over others, but, but that was years ago. And now you've just got ahead in the job, and you did it by steamrolling over someone. And in the end, you're appalled at yourself. 
Have I made any progress at all, or am I just fooling myself? I thought I was way beyond that already, and now I find myself doing what I hate. What's wrong with me? So you may be surprised to find out that this is a part of the normal Christian experience. What I mean is that it's normal to find more wickedness in us than we had imagined and to be terrified by that discovery. And we're about to find out that Abraham, the father of faith, was just as susceptible to these failures as you are. But don't be discouraged. I'm calling this sermon Our Weakness and God's Grace. And when I say that, I'm acknowledging that every Christian understands this. Some old sinful patterns are indeed very hard to break. How many of you know that? Some of you right now are appalled that you've not won the battle over greed or pornography or over jealousy or over self-centeredness. How discouraging. Abraham was about to find this out in Genesis 20. He had witnessed his nephew Lot's weaknesses, but he was about to find out that he had weaknesses of his own. I'm reading Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 2. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. You know, more than 20 years earlier, Abraham, back then, fairly new in his faith, had begun to follow God. God had led him to the promised land, and then came the first big test of his faith. There was a famine in the land, and in desperation, he moves to Egypt. And then to make matters worse, he was afraid of the Egyptians. His wife is beautiful, and he's afraid the Egyptians might murder him on account of his wife. And so he asks her to say she is his sister, and then sells her into a harem. But that happened when he was still due to this thing called faith, or confident trust in God. You know, we might excuse this. He was, he was an immature believer. And since then, he had found that God had proved himself again and again. Now, with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and with God's promise renewed, and with the anticipation that in a year she would have a son, we would assume that the immature Abraham had become the mature man of God. After all, his faith is beginning to reach a point of maturity, and the childish days of fear have long since given way to confident trust in God. And just when we think that, we find at least from one perspective that it might seem to us that, that Abraham, the father of all those who believe, seems to have made no progress at all. He repeats his earlier sin almost completely, mirroring exactly how he has responded before. Now his old fears are back and his faith has taken a tumble. Let me say it again. Sometimes some old sinful patterns are hard to break. Sometimes in the life of a maturing child of God, he or she may find with alarm two equally true and incontrovertible facts. First, it does seem to us that we are making progress in spiritual growth. And we have seen that Abraham has done just that. He has made tremendous advances as God has shown him the stars of the sky and, and told him how his offspring would be, and he believed. He has learned how to be courageous when he fought four kings in battle. He has learned to be generous with his money. He's, he's learned how to tithe. He resolutely refused to make himself rich from his battle with the four kings, giving the king of Sodom all that was his, and then giving 10% of all the remaining profits from the battle to the righteous king Melchizedek. 
And furthermore, Abraham has learned to be a man of prayer and compassion as he's prayed for the righteous people who are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He has thoroughly embraced his destiny as the man who is called to be the conduit of blessing to the whole earth. He is certainly not the man who first left Ur of the Chaldeans. He has matured in his faith, and he has learned to trust God more than ever before. In fact, all of us who know Christ can identify with him. I know that when I first came to Christ, I mean, I was terribly concerned about the fact that I had begun to drink and I had become very familiar with using profanity. And God took that away quickly. But then there were other areas. Well, there was my anger and my self-centeredness. And slowly, I was learning to trust God. I, like Abraham, am making great progress. But just when we think that this wonderful growth should be happening in all areas of life, we find it's not so. Indeed, if we take our eyes off of those areas where Abraham is growing and focus only on those areas where he's failing, well, it might seem to us that the great father of faith seems to be making no progress at all. You know, I started by saying that sometimes it seems to us or to any child of God that we're making great spiritual progress in our faith, but at the same time, we find that we can't seem to win in one area. Perhaps with you it's anger or unforgiveness or lust or anxiety. And because you're a child of God, you don't excuse those matters. You view them with all the seriousness that the scriptures call you to view them. And you're deeply grieved that the battle has gone on so very long. And so we know that it's very important to learn how to break those cycles of disobedience. And it is through these eyes that we read of Abraham's repeated pattern. But, and this is key, so, so listen up. I want just for now to go ahead to Genesis 20, verse 13. And here we find Abraham justifying his behavior before King Abimelech, and he calls him to give an account for his behavior. And listen to Abraham's response. Here's what he says. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. It turns out that Abraham demanded this of Sarah from the start of their journey, and here we are 20 years later, and he's still doing it. Can you identify with that? If you can, take heart. There's something you need to learn from this passage. The legalization of marijuana. Are you ready? Prepared? Do you understand the impact on you, your community, young people? What is a trustworthy biblical perspective and what's the impact physically, spiritually, socially? In Doubt and In Doubt Live is about connecting today's issues of faith and life with a biblical perspective. Join In Doubt's Isaac Dagno, Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Dr. Lucinda Scott, and Mark Ward, author of Can I Smoke Pot? Marijuana in the Light of Scripture, live February 22nd at the Clover Theatre in Cloverdale, British Columbia. It's a free event for young adults, so arrive early. Doors open at 6.30, event begins at 7 p.m. And if you can't make it, no worries. The event is being broadcast live on Facebook and you can submit your questions during the Q&A segment. So, for all the info you need, head to indoubt.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
After over 20 years of following God, we find out that there's something sinful that Abraham still demands of Sarah. She is to sacrifice herself for him because he simply will not trust God in one area of his life. He still demands of her that she be willing to be sold into another man's house. I wonder, how many times has he jeopardized her in this way? How many times did he tell people she was only his sister? I mean, we have no way of knowing, but in chapter 20, we're confronted with an Abraham who has a weakness, a lack of trust, a sin which he has kept for over 20 years. I can't tell you how disappointed I feel in Abraham. And by the way, are you shocked to find out about the sins of some great men and women of God? David and his sin with Bathsheba, Asa, a great and godly king who became angry with God and will not seek him in a time of illness. Elijah, hiding in a cave, unable to trust God, even after he won a great victory of faith. You know, I remember the first time I read about Jonathan Edwards, perhaps the most influential of all the American preachers, back in the early 1700s, finding out that he had purchased an African slave woman to help his wife with the household chores. And the practice of slavery from such an influential man of God. I mean, how can such a thing be? And if that were not enough, the great evangelist George Whitfield did the same. Are you thinking I'm only making this into a small matter? I'm not. And so let's get something clear. Repeated unrepentant sin is a very serious thing. 1 John 3 verse 6 says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In other words, our abandoning of sin is a mark of the life of the Spirit in the believer. Furthermore, deliberately clinging to sin is worse. If we simply roll over into sin and we justify it and make excuses for it and finally convince ourselves that it's no sin at all, then in consequence, no longer fighting our sin, well, in that case, it would be a sign that we never knew Christ in the first place. The mark of the Spirit of God in the believer is the conviction that sin is a cancer which must be defeated. When we receive a new heart, we find we love God beyond all other things. We trust in the cross of Christ and we deeply hate sin. That's what the new heart is. If you don't understand that experience, you've never been born again. And yet here we have Abraham deciding that wherever he's going to go, he will do this very same act, repeating the very same sin that he had at the beginning. So was Abraham a true believer? Yeah, yes, he was. He was not a man ruled by the flesh, but he did have in his life an area where he found it extremely difficult to trust God. He sinned against Sarah, but above all, he sinned against God. And you might be the same. It might be for you anxiety over money or fear that something terrible is going to happen or concern that your life really doesn't matter. Maybe you're a bully. Perhaps it's fascination with illicit sex or some other area. And you're trying to win this battle. And I believe the passage that we've just read will help us when we fight these sinful patterns. Let's find out what happened in this passage. Abraham, as you know, is a nomad and a man who keeps on moving. He has no permanent home. He may live in one location for some time, but when the cattle have eaten up the food in that area, it's time to move on. Unlike his nephew Lot, he has not taken up residence in a city. Hebrews 11 verse 10 says of him, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, 
His hope is set on the promises of God and not in the rewards of his culture. He's looking forward to heaven. He's a man of faith. And it is his faith, his nomadic life, his hope in the future promises of God that leads him to the southernmost area of the land that God had promised his ancestors. He comes to a city named Gerar. Now, Gerar is an important city because it was a caravan center which lay on the border of Canaan and Egypt. Now, it was there that goods would flow between Egypt and Canaan, and Abraham comes to this place with all his old anxieties come to the fore. He knows he's become a large tribal leader. There would have been thousands of people in his company by then, including herdsmen and cooks and business people and people charged with security and safety, including members of his own military. How would King Gerar view his arrival? Would he immediately send out troops for war? Would he be slaughtered? Now, I mention this because more than one person has remarked, how unlikely is this story? I mean, Sarah is at this point almost 90 years of age. It may be that people still found her attractive at 65. I don't think at 90. Well, of course, none of us were there to have seen Sarah, but I think that this had absolutely nothing to do with attractiveness. When Abraham arrived with his huge tribe with him, I'm assuming that Abraham and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, have to come to an immediate understanding. In the ancient world, you would sign a covenant of peace by giving one of your daughters to be married to a king. But remember, Abraham has no daughter to give to Gerar, so what then? He gives Gerar Sarah, and in this way, makes sure that there will be no war between Abimelech and himself. And that's why he says of Sarah, she is my sister. But now think of what's at stake. The entire plan of salvation rests right here on this very issue. God promised Abraham that he would bless the entire world through his and Sarah's offspring. And indeed, God has given Abraham a timeline. Look again at Genesis 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, let's think this through. If Abimelech had slept with Sarah, it would have never been clear to either Abraham or Sarah that this child was the seed of Abraham. A question mark would have hung over Isaac and over the entire program of God's redemption. I see this as Satan's intervention, as his plot to destroy the plan of God. And Abraham, the man who had never been able to conquer these fears, is now jeopardizing God's everlasting plan for the ages. <laughs> but God's plans can't fail, and so God intervenes. And so as we read through this part of the book of Genesis, we need to be overwhelmed with God's constant intervention, safeguarding his plan of redemption. I find two matters superimposed over against one another in this text. See, on the one hand, I see the weakness of Abraham, a man who has not yet at least been able to overcome this one area of his life. And on the other hand, I see the commitment of God to safeguard the promise that he has made to bless the world through this one man and to fulfill his promise that he would bring his chosen seed into the world who would eventually crush the head of the evil one and end the reign of sin and death. Now, even though we're not Abraham still, Believers in Jesus are the inheritors of the promise that was made to Abraham. And we do see in us the same weaknesses that are there in Abraham. Some areas of our lives are not yet yielded to God. What then are we to do? 
Listen, because this is so important. The first step is not what we should do, but to recognize God's commitment to us. In the story of Abraham and Abimelech, it was God who stepped in. And as he does, God will come to Abimelech in a dream, intervening and setting up an encounter between Abraham and Abimelech so that Abraham, the man to bless the world, will be lectured about righteousness from a pagan king. The place to begin, if we are to win the battle over sins that still cling to us, is to begin by being confident in God's commitment to us. I want you to listen to two New Testament verses that contain the words, He is able. First, from 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I hope you heard that. Our God is able to guard not only our salvation, but also our progress in the faith. And second, from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There is so much in this verse, but would you notice that right now, Jesus is praying for you, interceding before the Father on your behalf. And would you also notice the promise? He is able to save you in the most complete sense possible, utterly delivering you from all evil. It doesn't mean you don't have to fight your temptations. You've still got to fight, but know this, God is able. He's able to guard you and complete the work that he has begun in you. He's able to encourage you. That's the starting place for your faith. From the life of Abraham, believe that he will intervene in order to help you to win this war against sin. His grace is greater than all of our weaknesses. John, can I ask you a question? Can we overcome our sin if, if we don't have, have confidence in God to forgive us? Yeah, Ben, that's such an important question. I, I think it's so important for us to know that Christ's forgiveness, that is his death on the cross, covers all of our sin, past, present, and future, and that God already knew in advance where we would sin, and that he chose in Christ to forgive those sins which we would commit even as we were believers. So we have to live in that confidence, and it is that confidence that we are forgiven and that Christ will lead us through that gives us the confidence to fight those prevailing sins in our lives. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Truth and Life Today is Back to the Bible Canada's video Bible engagement program that speaks into the culture, current issues, questions of life and faith, and offers a biblical perspective. Recently, we've discussed topics like hell, biblical worship with guest Shane Weeb, issues of suffering and natural disasters, to name just a few. And in the days ahead, you'll watch as we consider the legalization of marijuana, the Christian in politics with guest and member of parliament Ed Fast, and the very current issue of religious freedom with Earl Phillips, executive director of Trinity Western University's proposed law school, and much more. So join us for Truth and Life today, every Monday online on Facebook, YouTube, the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app, 
and more. And discover the many back programs online as well. For more information or to support programs like Truth and Life Today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.